0: Hello and welcome to night number 20 of 31 Nights of Frights, year 3, the franchise. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. It's hard to believe that October is almost done and we made it 20 days into the month and we've gone through 20 different episodes of 31 Nights of Frights. But there's still plenty of episodes left and plenty of days left in October. So I say we should get on with tonight's episode. Night 20 brings us back to Hellraiser. Starring Ashley Lawrence, who makes her return to the Hellraiser franchise. Dean Winters and Doug Bradley. This is the 2002 Rick Boda directed Hellraiser Hellseeker. So normally I go and take the synopsis of a film and make it my own. I actually like this one that's on Google so I'm going to rob that from Google. I will though change it around a little bit as they're trying to be too mysterious for their own good. But here we go. Kirsty Cotton is now grown up and married. Her memory of the events that took place back at her parents home and the mental institution have dimmed. But she is still traumatized. One fateful day the married couple gets into a fatal car crash, killing her. Her husband finds himself in a strange world of sexy women, greed, and murder, making him believe he may be in hell. He follows the clues all the way to Pinhead. That's actually an interesting take on it, because while this isn't wrong, it describes the movie perfectly well. It's not entirely 100% factual. I don't get that... The main character of Trevor, played by Dean Winters, is actually ever questioning whether he's in hell or not. There's a lot of life and death types of things, but he never really once goes and thinks that he's in hell that I'm aware of or that I really got from my last viewing of this movie. So I think I should elaborate on what Google actually had for the synopsis of this film. And that's the fact that Early on in the movie, we see Kirsty Cotton, of course, from the first two Hellraiser films and a tiny little bit from Hellraiser 3. We see that she appears to be happily married and her and her husband get in a car accident. Kirsty is killed and that sets the whole story off in motion. One of the big missteps of this film is the fact that they reinterpreted the Hellraiser theme at the very beginning of the movie. For me personally, to rob a movie of iconic music, maybe they couldn't get the rights to it or something like that. It's not a good way to start a film. It's almost the way Candyman 3 didn't start off with any familiar Candyman music or even have it in the movie. Of course, we do get a little bit of that here, but you have to work through that reinterpretation to get the standard Hellraiser music. I think the whole storyline in itself, the amnesia aspect for the character of Trevor, which I said before, is played by Dean Winters. You may have seen Dean Winters in another show that has a bit of a cult following, and that is the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the Terminator TV show. And also, he's Mayhem. That's right, he is the character of Mayhem from the Allstate commercials. It's kind of funny to see him here in a lead actor role. I think he does just fine. But every once in a while, I expected him to bust out with his mayhem gimmick. This was perfectly fine when the movie was released and before he was the actual character and pitch man for an insurance company. But it just would have been funny to hear him go and say, Hey, want to save yourself from hell? Get Allstate. Of course, they would have to go and say, hell and mayhem. They can't just say hell on the commercial. Uh, Of course that doesn't work, but I don't know. It's funny to me. But getting back to the actual movie, the whole thing is an amnesia storyline. It's similar to Hellraiser 5. In a lot of ways Hellraiser 5 and 6 make a nice brother and sister sibling films together. It's definitely not a bad thing, and this movie, for being a direct-to-video film, is directed quite well. The only problem with it is, is the very beginning of the film. The scenes at the beginning have a distinct low-budget quality from a sound recording aspect and maybe even with the way it's edited, but it definitely shows its low budget there at the very beginning of the film. This goes away by the time the movie actually ends. It just feels like a little bit of a rough start, and you will notice it as a lower-budget affair at the beginning. And I think the beginning moments are the only things that really give it away as far as having a low budget. For what it is, director Rick Boda actually made a pretty good movie. It's not bad by any means, and he's definitely a direct-to-video director. But direct-to-video doesn't necessarily always mean bad. I do feel that, like Hellraiser 5, with a little bit more crafting, it could have actually gone theatrical. But the lack of success of Hellraiser 4 definitely ensured that Hellraiser would be a direct-to-video franchise moving forward. There's still money to be made, but when you throw less money at the movie, those rental sales and also those direct to VHS and later DVD sales start to add up and you'll make your money back and that's one reason why they made direct-to-video films as much as I like this movie the been-there-done-that feel from the last film definitely casts a shadow on this one even though this one has the advantage of having Kirsty back this does have some relatively decent special effects for a low-budget film I think a lot of the gore scenes are pretty well done and they're used tastefully similar to how they were used in the last movie. They're done in an equally tastefully way here. Everything looks fine and even the slight moments of CG aren't super super distracting to me. A lot of times CGI is distracting. For some reason since it's used so little here it didn't bother me if i have to say that the worst cgi is towards the end of the film and of course it's pretty dodgy looking but it's okay there is actually a lot of cool things going on here and that's the use of cameras the cameras are all at once a liar as well as a truth and i really like that they did that The camera aspect reminded me a little bit of something like David Lynch's Lost Highway. Of course, Lost Highway is a much better film, but the idea behind that of remembering things how you want to remember them, as opposed to how things actually happened, is a theme going on throughout this movie. With the Amnesia storyline, of course it does borrow a little bit from Jacob's Ladder as Trevor is seeing Cenobites throughout the movie. In a lot of ways, this almost reminds me of a cross between Jacob's Ladder and Lost Highway with Pinhead and Cenobites thrown into the mix. We get some pretty cool scenes with the Cenobites such as the Cenobites performing murders and also talking to the doctor. When Trevor's talking to the doctor, the doctor is almost like an angel type of figure. The big problem with this is that there's not enough payoff to the actual story itself. Trevor isn't really given a choice of whether he can choose between heaven or hell. Hell is more or less decided for him. That's because throughout the movie you find out that Trevor is really not a good guy at all. It seems that he thinks that he's a good guy and that's the whole amnesia idea, but he's really not. He actually was going to have Kirsty killed and the various people that are coming into his life are Playing out in a different version of how events really occurred The main issue a lot of people have with this movie is the treatment of the Kirsty Cotton character herself Her character acts as almost like a vampiric type of character And what I mean by that is the fact that she is going and delivering bodies and souls, flesh, to Pinhead and the Cenobites, in order to save herself. She puts it off numerous times in the first and second Hellraiser film. We're supposed to assume she's having a normal, happy life, and yet Pinhead and the Cenobites are coming to collect. She says, well, I can get you five souls for my one, and that's almost a too-good-to-be-true offer for Pinhead and the various Cenobites. She delivers on her proposition, and Trevor being the last soul to be delivered. A lot of people said that this simply ruined the character of Kirsty. I don't think it ruins the character of Kirsty at all. Her husband... Trevor, our main character throughout the entire movie, you find out that he was going to have her killed simply so he could get her savings, all of her money, and the life insurance policy. So I think Kirstie's actions are definitely justified in the film itself. I mean, in reality, it does suck for Trevor, but then again, he was a terrible person. One of the best things about this movie itself is the fact that it's a true sequel to the first two Hellraiser films. Of course that's by inclusion of Kirsty Cotton, but the fact that they name drop both her father and Uncle Frank is a pretty cool thing. Me personally, I think this is a pretty strong outing for Hellraiser in general. Just like number 5 was, it's definitely a step up from what was with Hellraiser 4, even though I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that the only thing that disappoints me about this one is it's probably the last really good Hellraiser film in my opinion and also the fact that it completely ends the Kirsty storyline I can't see her ever being involved with the box or the Cenobites ever again this really does complete that whole story arc and for as much as what people said that it goes against everything it really does feel right at home with the story presented You may be wondering why I have not talked about Doug Bradley in being Pinhead. Well, he's not in the movie too much. He just shows up here and there. He does give a good performance, but sadly, like Hellraiser 5, he really did take a back seat, and I understand why they did. Pinhead was never actually the focus of the Hellraiser series. It was more about the characters and, well, Pinhead is definitely not the focus here. I honestly feel that in that respect, it is true to Clive Barker's vision, whether Clive Barker would like to acknowledge that or not. And right there is a good stopping place, so I think I'm going to close out tonight's episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. If you don't do the whole social media thing, you can reach me at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. Catch up on past episodes at adamanalyzes.com. And if you do have a free moment and you're enjoying this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would give me a five-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice. It'll allow me to continue making episodes and also reach new listeners. Plus, I simply love those digital hugs. But with that being said, be kind and good night.